your host Anna Debenham and normally we have Brad Frost joining us but he's in Australia at the moment. So today we have Susan Robertson. Hello Susan. Hi Anna. How are you doing? Good how are you today? I'm doing great thank you. So could you tell me a little bit about what you do? Sure so currently I'm a freelance front-end developer and I focus mostly actually on CSS and markup. I actually don't do a lot of JavaScript. So I focus a lot on CSS architecture, large-scale CSS, style guides, CSS audits, um, and I like to kind of think of myself as a design implementer, which is something that Jonathan Snook coined on his blog. So I work a lot with designers and help them get things the way they're supposed to be. I like that phrase. So you kind of, um, you work with a designer and you build what they design. Pretty much, yeah. And um, usually I'm brought in to just help get things going. And it kind of varies from project to project, but uh, I usually work closest with the designer on any given team. Excellent. And you've done a bit of work with Editorially. Yeah, so I was the front-end developer at Editorially, which I guess I should say since it's been gone over almost a year now, for those who don't know, it was a collaborative writing um, software online. It was so good. I really miss it. Me too. Believe me. <laughs> um, and when I was brought in there, they were getting ready to head into public beta and uh Ethan Marcotte, who built the application, was going out of day-to-day, and I was brought in to replace him, which was a little frightening, actually. And, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I worked for them um, from probably the last six and a half months of the lifespan of the company before we mm-hmm. shut down. And you built a style guide for them? Yeah, when I uh, came in there, I was really interested in building a style guide, and so I... Um, I had agitated pretty hard on in the interviews about asking the co-founders what they thought of it and if they thought it was a good idea. They were all fairly receptive. So my first few weeks there, I started building out a guide based on the existing application. Mm. Um, I had gotten pretty used to guides in my workflow at previous jobs. So um, I kind of don't like working without one for any long-term project. Yeah. Yeah. And was it quite unusual to be building a style guide from something that already existed as opposed to something new? Yeah, it was. It was my previous job. I'd done a lot of building out. Um, it was a design consultant or a development consultancy. So we'd done a lot of waterfall type of building out, and um, so we would get designs and then build from there. So building on an existing application that's actually changing as you're building was definitely a different scenario for me, but I really enjoyed it. I It kind of was the way that I got to learn all the different CSS that was used in the guide or in the application and could see it all, like every single button that had been styled, even if they weren't all being used. And mm-hmm. It was a way to kind of familiarize myself with everything going on within the code. And I also took it as an opportunity to do some refactor as well. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So how did um, building a style guide help you with that refactoring? So, well, the first part was um, the the styles were in SAS, 
But Ethan isn't a huge user of all the features of SAS. So they're basically in SAS because it was a Rails app and the Rails pipeline could concatenate the files together. So I did a lot of breaking up, more, even more breaking up of files to get things like all the buttons were alone in a file and the navigation alone in a file and that kind of thing. Mm. And then I implemented uh, variables, which we hadn't, we weren't using up until that point for colors. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I was able to find CSS that wasn't being used anywhere and like double and triple check that and have a colleague check for me as well before I deleted it out. Um, and that was pretty helpful because I, I think when you're iterating quickly on an application that happens a lot, you you abandon a module for something totally different. So you want to start over. And so I was able to kind of clean a lot of that up as well and get a system in place for prefixing as well for vendor prefixes. So yeah, it worked Perfect. pretty well. Yeah. So did you have a separate SAS file for each module? I tried. Um, that got a little hairy in some of the situations just because a lot of things were tied together and I didn't really know where to break them up. Yeah. But uh, a colleague of mine that I worked with there, he, he and I like to talk about screenfuls of code. Like we didn't want more than one to two screenfuls. Like, so you were scrolling a lot in a code file. <laughs> so my goal was usually to, to narrow it down just so that you wouldn't have as much to scroll through in any given file. But sometimes that's hard. Yeah, it's quite a leap. I remember when I first started working that way and just being kind of horrified. I think I was working on a project with someone else who was working that way and just I was just horrified. Look at all these files. How am I going to know where anything is? Um, and now I, I see the value of it, especially when you're building up modules to have each kind of module has its own style sheet effectively. Well, and I think it's easier for someone to step into because mm-hmm. they can just find like, here's the buttons, here's the icons, here's the callout box, here's the media blocks or whatever it is, however you do it. Yeah. it you know, you name the file after what the thing is that's in there. And so it's easier because with SAS, it's become a little harder to find things by, you know, the inspector says some odd line and you're like, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually a concatenated file. So yeah, so I think it's been I, that's made it easier for, to step into projects as well, and also for version control, I guess, because it it you're only editing that one file to to change, say, a button, um, so there's less risk of sort of breaking the entire style sheet. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. And what sort of tools did you use to help build the editorially style guide? So for editorially, it's pretty old school. Um, it was, it's a, it was Rails app. So we had us, uh, basically an HTML file or ERBs as they're known in the Rails world sitting in our admin area. And I hooked up the production style sheets to that page. And I hooked up a style guide only CSS to that page just in case I would need it. And then I actually just hand wrote everything um, at the beginning. So I just started throwing everything in the buttons and the paragraphs and things like that. So I could see them. And as I iterated, I then used, um, Ethan actually suggested after he took a look at some early iterations using, uh, filament groups, x-ray HTML. Mm. So that we could spit out actually what the styles 
the code actually was underneath each module. And that it uses JavaScript, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It uses just a little bit of JavaScript and you can use Leavaru's um, Prism for color coding if you want. We used it, but since we were already using it in the application to color code any code snippets you'd put in a document, um, it was kind of editorially gray colors. It didn't color code in the same way that out of the box it does. Mm. But uh, it was it was really nice to have, and um, it, it kind of that's where I felt like the style guide took another step, like giant step forward, because you yeah. could you could look at it and just see everything in one place. So, and what was the process of um, so when you were designing a feature, like, and you came in to build it, did you add it to the style guide first, or did you add it after it had been implemented? So we worked pretty quickly and we were a very small team um, and we worked very agilely. And so, and we didn't have a staging server or anything. So it was local and production. So we would do all our new features in local. And typically we just did the, the features and the changes. And then if, if it required markup changes to something or to a module, it was on me basically to go back and change it in the style guide and update it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was the one who cared the most, and since we were <laughs> and since we were trying to move pretty quickly, um, it was you know, and we were in beta pretty much the entire lifespan of the app. It's just we moved from private to public. It was just easier that way to to go forward, and I would I would just double back. I think eventually I would have wanted an automation of some kind, but you know, we were small enough that I didn't feel like it was worth the work at that point. Yeah. yeah. So going right back to the start, what was like the first time that you encountered a style guide? So my very, very first glimpse of anything relating to a style guide, and I don't know that it even used the word style guide, was I was sitting at an event apart in Seattle several years ago now, and um, Aaron Walter from MailChimp was on stage. And he was he was talking about how they'd implemented object-oriented CSS and done a lot of cleanup under the hood of MailChimp. And at the same time, they'd come out with a style guide that was just on their intranet. And he had an image of it. He actually still has an image of it. It's huge, this huge, long image. Yeah, on Flickr. <laughs> yeah, and that was my first ever, like, wow, that's a thing, you know, and kind of thinking about that. Um, the job I was at, I couldn't really figure out how I would get something like that, but it was my, definitely piqued my interest and I started to kind of look out for anything uh, remotely like that as things were coming out. So while doing this podcast, I've um, heard a few people reference that very same moment, you're seeing MailChimp's sort of screenshot of their uh, style guide and just wow this is really cool well I think I mean I've been trying to timeline that and I'm pretty sure that that image from his talk was pre your 24 ways article and pre Starbucks being being released so I think the year he did that talk was really the first it would be for a lot of people if they went to an event apart that year or heard that particular talk their first glimpse because nothing else was really out there. Nobody was talking about them very much. So it certainly wasn't public. Right, exactly. I think I think perhaps um Dave Shea had one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really cool to see MailChimp do it because they're such a big company and um they've got such a big d design team. It's just really nice to see what they're working on. Yeah, totally agree. 
Yeah. And I think it was a while before they made that entirely public, you know, to to make that style guide um, to put it in on their site. Yeah, I think it was too. I think that sat in their intranet for quite a while before anything came out publicly. So, mm. yeah. So that image was kind of the one thing you could look at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the editor release style guide is also public. Did you have to persuade it? I'm, guess, I'm guessing people were quite keen on, on putting it live. Well, it never went public during the lifespan of the, um, of the application. It went public as the application was in its final months. Mm-hmm. And um, I was writing the article for a list apart and I was referencing, I was using basically how I made that style guide to, to write the article. And so I asked the co-founders, you know, is there any way that could come out of the application and be public at this time? And so they agreed to put it out on GitHub. So it's, it's out there. But my big caveat that I tell everyone is to get it out on and as a standalone little thing, I had to actually just view source <laughs> and like save the HTML and then save all the style sheets. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's, it is on GitHub, but it is pretty dang. Uh, like it's gnarly to look at that code. It is by, you know, and I don't think, I think it would have taken a while for that to become public if the application had kept going because Jason would have wanted to kind of design it and make it look better. But I've found it really helpful to have it out there looking kind of crappy because I think our standards for what a style guide needs to look like are based on all the ones that are public and all the ones that are public have designers behind them who wouldn't let them be public unless they were beautiful. So, (laughs) so, and I think an internal team document doesn't need to look that good to be helpful. Um, And the majority of the style guides I have made in my time look bad. They don't Mm -hmm. look like Yelp or Starbucks or any of the others that are publicly available. Rizzo, they, they look pretty bad. So, but they were, they were just internal team documents. So nobody else had to see them but us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they are documentation and, um, you know, it's nice to have a really pretty design, but it's not necessary. I think it's just people like to share it and, they like it to look good. No, I, if I were sharing, I mean, I probably want it to look good too. So I totally understand the motivation, (laughs) but it, it doesn't help like the normal, like the average person working on a team of people understand that you don't have to go to those links to make a style Mm -hmm. guide that's going to help you and your team. Um, that's, it's great if you want to do that, but you don't have to do that. So yeah, style guides like Mailchimp's is particularly pretty. And um, have you seen Salesforce's style guide? I th- yeah, I have. Yep, that is really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love the icons on it. Yeah, they've just done a really good job on it, and yeah, getting quite a few ideas from that. But yeah, it doesn't need to be that pretty. Right. Yep. So. Yeah. So, what sort of tools have you come across? Uh, not necessarily used, but um, just explored over the past few months? So I've done, I just did a lot of tool research because I had a client who wanted something that would generate. So uh, I needed to come up with what I would use. And the one I ended up using was Style Down. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's fairly lightweight and pretty easy to get going. It's, it's a node-based tool and it just kind of one command line spits out your style guide. Once you have a config file, you start putting uh, comments in your style sheets and then you can run a command and it spits out HTML. And he also has set up 
a bunch of CSS and JavaScript that's sitting on like a CDN that you can access. So it can look pretty good pretty quickly right out of the gate, which is nice. Um, I, I also looked heavily at Nico's living style guide. He's in Berlin and he's getting ready, I think for his 2.0 or something. He's tweeted at me a little bit about making changes and I've, I've, so I kind of have a rundown on the Alyssa Part blog of all the ones I looked at. A, l- a lot of the Node ones are nice because they're fairly lightweight, so they're pretty easy to get up and running. Um, but it depends on you know your application. If you're in Ruby, there's some great options that run right off of Ruby Gems, and so it could be easy to use something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I've I've been looking at the Pattern Labs that. Um, I've never used Brad's, but I've looked into it. And I've also looked at your Jekyll version of, of a pattern lab. Yeah. (laughs) Which I, I'm intrigued by. I use Jekyll for my site. So I've considered doing my own little mini style guide for my site out of that. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of tools out there. (laughs) Mm. And the biggest thing I've found is everybody wants you to use a tool, but most tools aren't completely automated. So you still have some maintenance that has to happen manually, even if you use a tool. Yeah. And I think as well, it can depend on the type of team that you're working with. If they're very technically minded, one of these automation tools is going to be really handy. If they're less so, if they're mainly designers, um, giving them a load of sort of things that commands that they need to run in the terminal that that can be not good yeah I mean my recent project I was really lucky the designer was willing to run the one line in his command line (laughs) you know and so I was because so that was nice but you don't always that's not always the ideal situation for people so yeah yeah, you have to think about all that as well yep for sure I think a lot of these um sort of living living style guides things like Rizzo, which is Lonely Planet's system that uses an API. I I really like that. I really want to use it on projects, but I know I probably can't because it's it's uh, dependencies. It's you know making sure the team that I'm working with is is comfortable using that and that it doesn't add extra work. Yeah, I mean Rizzo is kind of the holy grail to a lot of people, but you have, and I think it's great. I love Rizzo and I love what Ian's written about it and how open he's been about it. But the big thing with Rizzo is you have to have access to full stack. And, you know, you also have to be able to, you'd probably want to tailor it to your needs. Your needs might not be mm-hmm. exactly the same as Lonely Planets. So, you know, it's going to take I think Rizzo would take a lot of upfront work, even if you were, you know, an in, in, in-house team. But then once it's running, it could be really great. But, mm. you know, I don't, a lot, of, I get a lot of questions about Rizzo. So, and I love Rizzo, but like you, I work with clients, so I don't have full stack access and that's not necessarily yeah. going to be a solution for them. So. A style guide something that you need to sell to clients or is it something that they ask you to make? So the the first time I ever um, did one for a client was the project for 53, where I did this type style guide. And they came to me looking for a refactor and a cleanup of the type across their site. And I was like, well, if we're going to do this, why don't we just tack on a style guide? Wouldn't that make it easy? So they were pretty receptive to that. And, and additionally, it went out publicly because... Um, they're 53 and they design and they mm-hmm. so they gave me a beautiful design basically to get it out the door and make it look nice which was great 
Um, last summer I worked with a startup where I did a style guide for them. And that, that one was mostly me saying, I think this is a good idea. Like, I don't know how long you guys are going to have me around and I should document this front end. And so we did kind of a rough and ready style guide so that the back end folks would have a, something to reference if they needed it. And, um, cause I was only with them part time too. So I wasn't always around mm-hmm. and, th- and there was time change issues cause they were in the East coast. So I, I just did it kind of thing. <laughs> I said, I think yeah. you need this and it's not really going to take me that long. So I'm just going to do this. Um, and, but the first time I ever had a client say, I want a style guide as part of what we're doing was the project I just wrapped a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, he came to me, he was, he's a designer. He was working with a client. He was bringing me in to help architect and build out the front end and kind of, we were passing off static pages but he really wanted a style guide for reference for them as they moved forward with the application. And even he wasn't around because he, you know, he was going to have an, he was on contract. So he was going to have an end date. So um, that was the first time it was like, we want, we want this and we had to figure out how we can do this easily. So that's why I did a whole bunch of research and came out using style down. But um, yeah, that, that usually isn't the case. Uh, I, a lot of clients aren't quite sure what the benefit is. So yeah. they, they see it as extra work. Yeah. But then once you build them something, they realize the benefit. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like this chicken and egg of trying to help them understand the benefit. You know, I did a really fast five day project last week and she came to me with all these designs and it was great. And I was like, well, why don't we do a style guide? Cause I could have just done all the components for her. And then mm-hmm. w- out of that whipped up templates you know for her to start in on and she she wasn't down with it so I just did the flat file templates Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's a lot of folks just don't see benefit all the time which is too bad yeah another thing I'd like to talk with you about which I think you have quite a bit of experience in is um maintenance so how do you encourage clients to maintain their style guides yeah, so this this topic became the hot this has become the hottest topic I've found in the last 6 months. And I I tweeted uh, I tweeted asking people basically how do you maintain last November? And I tweeted about mid-morning my time and I ended up spending all day on Twitter talking about maintenance <laughs> with people who either are like we don't know how to maintain, tell us or people who are like this is what we do. Uh mm-hmm. it, it was it was a little nutty um and it was interesting to see all the different types of people that were interested in it. And out of that came a conversation that I actually got to do a Google Hangout and and talk with Livia Labate from, she was at Marriott until the end of last year. Now she's a Knight Fellow working with NPR visual mm. stuff. I think she's done a podcast with uh, Ethan and Karen. She has, yeah. She's on the Responsive Web Design podcast. So the two, the two things about maintenance are, you know, Lonely Planet comes up a lot, as we've discussed, for kind of fully automation. And I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure that Ian and Lonely Planet are the only fully automated solution I've seen. <laughs> I really haven't seen another one. Um, but then on the flip side of that is Marriott, who is a huge organization with tons of digital teams. And they actually have a team of four or five people who are paid 
to maintain their standards, um, and govern. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really crazy. And they have an internet, um, standards library basically. And that, and their standards team has issues that are submitted by the digital teams across Marriott. They work through issues in a sprint and then present back to the, the greater company. And then if there are rush needs, you know, they'll work with that team to figure out what needs to be done for that particular project. And then they'll work it back into the standards after the fact. And they, um, they have like, their standards are crazy. It's not just like, I always use icon fonts because I think it's kind of controversial and everyone has different opinions on how to use them. So if you were to look in Marriott's standards portion of their intranet about how to use icon fonts, it wouldn't just be like, here's what we do, here's how you use them. It's actually the entire history of how they decided to do what they did and then and then how you would use them so that anyone coming into the company, instead of rehashing stuff that they've already gone through, like all that historical knowledge is documented so that everyone can see why they're doing it the way they're doing it and all the things they've thought about to get there. So the intent of how they use things is really well documented and then they have a smaller, what we would consider more of a code style guide for front end developers to use as reference and to quickly be able to get up to date. But then they can always click back into the standards from there to read more should they need to. So, so it's, it's really amazing what they're doing, but they're paying a lot of people to do it. Right. And it's, you know, but they're a huge company and they have, they have managed to rein in and standardize tons of stuff. Um, because of that. So it's, you know, governance is pretty hard and, and maintenance is definitely really hard. And I think for small companies, a lot of times it comes down to there's a person on the team who cares and they make sure it stays up to date. And who knows what happens when that person leaves the company, but, um, but they're, that's usually what I'm hearing from a lot of people is they care and so they maintain. But, but even a larger client that I've worked with, one that I worked with last fall uh, on the size of Marriott, you know, they would do a lot of PRs after the fact to clean up the style guide. So they'd get through, get things made, and then there would be all these cleanup PRs coming through to update the style guide because they were using KSS and, you know, they had to remember to do all the comments and put the markup in the files and stuff. So, Mm. but that was, that was part of their process. Yeah. But that was part of their process. I mean, one of the things I've talked a lot about is the the same project I worked on last fall, the, the end client, I had to run a command line test suite before I could even do a PR so that, wow. and it, it was like a 15 minute test suite. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like you hit the button and you walked away because, but they, you know, they were wanting to make sure that nothing broke and there were linters yeah. involved and, and, and it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's painful for the individual developer, but their code base stayed much cleaner. And so I think if you have those kinds of standards already in place and you're using a style guide, that part of that workflow, so you hit the the command line test suite, you do your PR, and then maybe as a part of the PR, the PR doesn't get signed off until the style guide's updated too. You know, like I think you can work kind of these checks and balances in if you want. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's no different than testing in some ways. So It's kind of quality control. Yep, yep. So is there a situation where you wouldn't build a style guide for a client? Yeah, I think if I were 
working full, like even if I weren't, even if I weren't just client working, but I think teams that are working on a new app or a new thing and they're iterating really, really quickly, I don't know that they should do a style guide. I mean, editorially didn't have a style guide when I came on board and there's kind of a lot of reasons for that. And there, most of them are really good reasons. Uh, Jason Santa Maria, who is the creative director, has an image on Dribbble of all the different, um, menu bars that were inside when you were working on a document what you'd see at the top and it's it's this huge image and it's just like one little menu bar after another of all the different things he designed and thought about when he was working through that that um trying to find a design solution and according to Ethan like half of those got built out (laughs) so you know they're moving really fast and they're making changes and they're in private beta and they're trying to figure out what they're doing and and I like to say that you're trying to figure out the thing you're building is, what is it? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that at that point, a style guide's necessarily helpful for you. I think so it's... So the kind of designing and code. Yeah, you're, you're tons of design and code, tons of iteration, tons of changing. And mm-hmm. if you had a style guide at that point, you would be constantly having to do maintenance to update it. Like you would constantly either be, even if you're using a tool, because the markup's probably changing. So yeah. I don't know that I would... I would say you have to have a style guide at that point. I think once you've settled on a design language and you know where you're at and you feel good about where you're at, I think that's actually the time to start documenting because your app is growing up, you know, if that makes sense. Like your, your app has gone through its crazy toddlerhood of changing all the time and taken off the training wheels. Yeah, exactly. And so when, once you're to the phase where you're kind of settling and growing up a little bit, then that might be the right time to, to start implementing a style guide yeah I feel a bit better hearing that from you because I'm like with my own personal site I'm very bad at keeping the style guide up to date but I do design in code and I do mess about with things and it's just very difficult to keep those in sync when I'm just trying something out I'm not sure it's going to stay like that right yeah yeah I I think that's perfectly okay and I mean I don't have a style guide for my site so (laughs) (laughs) I had to make one for the Star Guide site because I knew someone was going to ask me, so where's the Star Guide for this? Yeah. And someone did, and I was so happy. I was like, oh, phew. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I actually have one. It's not great, but... Yeah, I worry about that, actually. I'm like, someone's going to ask me about the Star Guide for my own site because I've referred to, like, Max Quattromani's, and that's his personal site, and he's got this killer style guide, and I'm like... Someone's going to ask me. One of these times, someone's going to be like, where's your style guide? And I'm gonna be like, oh... Yeah, I haven't done that. <laughs> so I think Ethan Marcotte, his site isn't responsive or something. He was stressing about that. <laughs> yeah. So it's always your own site that you leave to last, I think. Yeah. So. so I think that's all we've got time for. It was really great chatting with you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> you see. Yep. Bye. Bye.